Bibles tonight and be turning to the book of Philemon. We had a lesson from Philemon some uh, weeks ago. Maybe it may have been right at the first of the year, but we're going to look at a different part of the passage. Philemon, right before the book of Hebrews. Might help you a little bit. We'll spend our time in the first chapter tonight. Philemon, good to see you tonight. It says there, the epistle of Paul to Philemon. Paul wrote this epistle, this letter to a friend named Philemon. Uh, Paul wrote it, if you look at the end of the book, it written from Rome to Philemon by Onesimus, a servant. Paul was not visiting Rome as a tourist. He was in prison at Rome. While he was there, he wrote this letter to his friend, and it was about Onesimus, the man right there in the ladder, in the, at the end of the book after 25th verse. It was actually Onesimus, a servant, who delivered this letter to Philemon, and the word servant didn't just mean he was a servant of the Lord. It really meant that he was a slave. Philemon, apparently, had this slave by the name of Onesimus. And Onesimus, from all we can tell, ran away seeking his freedom. And he found himself in Rome and met the Apostle Paul in jail there at Rome. And Onesimus was saved. I know many of you know the story, but it's kind of refresh it in your mind. So Onesimus, who's a runaway slave, goes to Rome, meets the Apostle Paul, and gets saved. When Paul writes this letter back to Philemon, he writes the main purpose of the letter, almost all the letter, is about Paul's relationship with Philemon and his request that Philemon would receive Onesimus back, would welcome him back and restore him and forgive him, um, receiving him as a runaway slave. Now, in the passage that we dealt with in the lesson some weeks ago was about how verse 11 says, in times past, Onesimus was to thee, to Philemon, unprofitable. But now, since he's saved, he is profitable. Profitable both to Philemon and to the Apostle Paul. And Paul writes this letter dealing with that subject. And then almost uh, at the very end, that's where we're going to look, Paul expressed his desire to be released from prison and to go visit Philemon. We're going to read that verse together. Let's stand together. Please, if you're able to stand in honor of the word of God. And let's read verse 22. Where Paul writes and says, but with all, prepare me also a lodging. For I trust that through your prayers, I shall be given unto you. So let's read that together. Just, just kind of soak in our minds, focusing on it, putting other things aside. What this verse says, Paul writes to Philemon, but with all. Prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers 
I shall be given unto you. And I'm going to emphasize this verse, talk about this matter of prayer, but particularly those two words, your prayers. He emphasized that. I believe he emphasized that writing to Philemon. Father, please bless as we study tonight. Lord, we want to be hearers and doers of your word. And certainly all of us could benefit from a reminder about the power and the importance of our praying. So we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So Paul wanted to visit Philemon. And um, Philemon, I'm certain, lived in Colossae. And it doesn't mention that in the book of Philemon. But hold your finger here, if you would, in Philemon. And go to the left, just a few books, to the little book of Colossians. Uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then 1 Thessalonians. So Colossians, um, there are a couple of things in this book that make me know that Philemon was from Colossae, from the region of this, Paul, this epistle of Paul to Colossians. One of them, if you look at the very end again, at the postscript, uh, the book, end of the book of Colossians, it says, written from Rome to the Colossians by Tychicus and Onesimus. So Onesimus, this runaway slave that got converted, is not only going to deliver a letter to Philemon, but he's also delivering a letter to the church there in Colossae. Another reason I believe that Philemon was from Colossae, if you look in Colossians uh, chapter 4 and verse 17, and Paul writes to the Colossians, and he says in verse 17, and say to Archippus, take note of that name, Archippus, say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord that thou fulfill it. Archippus was in the church there at Colossae. Now go back to Philemon, and we'll continue here. If you'll notice in Philemon, verse 2, Paul says, Philemon, verse 2, and to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, there's that, name, that person again, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. So I'm, I'm convinced that Philemon, we, don't know, we know that Paul was acquainted with Philemon, that he had a relationship with him, uh, at least by writing, um, because of his relationship with um, Onesimus. But I believe that Philemon was in the church there in Colossae. So, so in our text, we see that Paul wanted to visit them. Back to verse 22, he said, prepare me also a lodging. So Paul wanted to visit the church there in Colossae, and he had fully expected to be delivered from Roman prison. I mean, it's very clear in verse 2, with prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. Uh, it also appears that by reading the travels of Paul, by reading this book of Philemon, by reading the book of Colossians, that Paul had never been there. But he had this acquaintance with, with Philemon through uh, Onesimus. And, and he wanted to go there, look in verse 22, I'm just kind of looking at various aspects of this verse. He wanted to go there to be a blessing to the church. He says, for I pray, or for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. Meaning, I, I think I can be a benefit 
uh, to your ministry. By the way, that wasn't boastful for the Apostle Paul to think that he could be a help to them. He was an apostle, and, and he was a preacher, and he was God-called, and he had every reason to believe that he would be a blessing to them. But what's going to make this trip possible, taken from the words of Paul himself? He said, I believe that I'll be there as a direct result of your prayers. A verse, again, verse 2, I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. Now, I, I'm convinced that's not just a, a play on words or, or so power of positive thinking. I believe he really believed that their prayers would make a difference in his life. That because of their prayers, he would be released and he would be able to visit them. And so we're going we're gonna to focus in on that tonight, their prayers. He says, your prayers. And we're, we're going to come back to that subject specifically in a moment. But let's just think in the beginning as kind of a way of introduction about Paul's prayer life and prayer in general. You know, I don't know how many people would agree with this, but I don't think it's possible to say too much about praying. I don't think it's possible to think too much about praying. And I sure don't think it's possible to spend too much time praying. Um, Paul depended upon it. He was really a man of prayer. In Philemon there, if you're still looking there, and I hope you'll keep your Bible open to Philemon. In the fourth verse, he says to Philemon, I thank my God making mention of thee always in my prayers. Uh, Paul was a man of prayer. He prayed frequently for Philemon. And only... He and the Lord knows what he prayed for. But this was Paul's prayer life. This is not an unusual thing for him to say, I'm praying, I want you to know I'm always praying for you. That was the way he lived. As a matter of fact, the epistles are really filled with, replete with examples of Paul's prayer life. Let's just look at a few examples of that. Hold your finger here in Philemon and turn to the left beyond Titus to 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul writes to this uh, beloved son in the faith and said, I thank God, 2 Timothy 1 3, I thank God whom I serve for my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. So he prayed for Philemon regularly, prayed for Timothy regularly. Go to a bit Further to the left to uh, 1 Thessalonians. Go past 2 uh, Thessalonians to 1 Thessalonians. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 2, he says, We give thanks to God always for you all. He's writing to the church at Thessalonica. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. So he also prayed for those in Thessalonica. Go just a couple of pages more to the left, back to Colossians where we were a moment ago. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 3. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. He didn't just pray one time for the Colossians or the, those in Thessalonica. Go a little bit further to the left to Philippians chapter 1. Here the church at Philippi, the epistle he wrote to the Philippian believers. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 4 for your, verse 4, yes. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. So when you read those things, you, you get an idea of the kind of prayer life Paul had. Always praying, 
always praying for individuals, always praying for churches. And to be honest with you, when I read things like that, I don't know how it affects you, maybe in a different way, but when I read things like that, someone like Paul, I have the tendency to think, you know, that level of prayer, that, le that level of prayer, consistency in prayer, praying for so many people and so many different things, is, it's really admirable, it's exceptional, but it's not attainable. You know, I, would, I could never do what he did. I, could I don't know if you ever feel that way. Sometimes I feel that way. And the tendency is to sort of be starstruck by, what, by his life and his consistency in prayer, but really dismiss it, sort of, because that's not possible. None of us could live up to that. But I, I would like to suggest that there's really a better response, and that is to say, you know, I could be better at this. I could do better at this. I could grow and be better in our prayer life. And that's really what I want to talk about tonight is your prayers. Because praying really should be at the center of everything we do. It ought to be at the center of who we are. We shouldn't have to get in a praying mode because we ought to stay in a praying mode. That's what pray without ceasing means. It means stay in an attitude of prayer. Always be ready to pray. And I think there's a number of reasons, and I'm not going to get into this part of it, but there's probably a lot of reasons why we sometimes aren't there. One of them is maybe we just get too busy, maybe our thoughts are in other places, or maybe we just don't think that our prayers could make that big a difference. But that brings me back to what Paul said to, the, to Philemon. He says, I believe your prayers are going to make a difference. So we ought to pray about a lot of things. Matter of fact, we ought to pray for all things. Philippians Chapter 4 says, be careful for nothing. Don't be full of care. That means worrisome, fretful, anxious. Don't be careful, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't worry about so much, but pray about everything. I mentioned that verse in 1 Thessalonians where it says, pray without ceasing. Paul writes to Timothy, we ought to pray for our elected officials. We emphasized that a few weeks ago. We need, we need to do that regularly. We ought to pray for our friends and family. We ought to pray for our church family. We can look at verses where Paul says pray for all the saints. We're to pray for God's forgiveness. We're to pray for God's leadership. Jesus said pray after this manner. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. We're to pray for his will to be done, thy will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. We're to pray for his provision. Give us this day our daily bread. We're to pray for all these things. Prayer is not just what we do. Prayer ought to describe who we are. We're God's people. God is our Father. We seek him. Jesus even requested prayer. We're, you know, we're in Mark chapter 14 on Sunday mornings. We'll get into that part of the scripture where Jesus took the disciples into the Garden of Gethsemane and he asked them to pray. And he took Peter, James, and John a little further and he asked them to pray. And he, and he says, you know, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we ought to, we need, we, if, he, if he asked people to pray for him, then he wants us to pray. And God's work, and this is, this is really getting to what Paul was writing Philemon about God's work really is directly dependent on the prayers of God's people. 
Paul asked the churches numerous times. He asked Romans. He asked Thessalonica. He asked the churches many times to pray for him. He even thanked them for his prayers. He thanked the Corinthian church and the church at Philippi for the specific prayers they prayed for him. And when Jesus was talking about the number of people that are to be reached and the shortage of laborers, what did Jesus say? Worry about it? No, he said, pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers into his harvest. It ought to be a matter of prayer. So back to Philemon, verse 22. Paul believed that the prayers of others would make this trip possible. Philemon, verse 22 I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. Now Paul Paul was a proven man of prayer. You know, one would think that a person who had prayed as much as Paul prayed wouldn't be dependent on people to pray for him, right? One would think even that Jesus who got up a great while before day and went out to pray as an example of his disciples, who prayed through the night, that Jesus wouldn't depend upon the prayers of other people, but Jesus depended on the prayers of other people. Paul depended on the prayers of other people. I mean, I think Paul had a connection with God that we can only imagine, right? He gave us much of our New Testament. But he counted on the prayers of his friends. He said, please pray for me. He said to the Romans, pray for me. You can't be right here with me, but you can pray for me. And he's, he's telling the Philemon here as he writes to him. And he wrote him about receiving Onesimus. But he says, I want to come see you. And I believe I will as a result of your prayers. So... Let's all agree on this tonight. We, we really should be men and women of prayer. All of us should. And how old should a person be to get their prayers answered? It has nothing to do with how old you are. It has to do every, with everything about your relationship to God. If you're a child of God, if you're born of God, God's your father as much as he is my father or anybody else's father. We can pray to him. There's no substitute for it. We ought to work hard, but prayer, hard work is not a substitute for prayer. If we want God to open doors, we ought to pray about that. If we want God to provide for us, we ought to pray about that. And we ought to pray expecting God to believe. I think prayers of other people, you would, I, I assure you tonight, that you're, if you were to think about this, you believe that the prayers of other people are important and could make a difference in your life and in God's work but your prayers matter it's not just everybody else's prayer that matters your prayers that's what Paul said your notice in verse 22 the word prayer is plural through your prayers in other words it's not just one prayer but it's more than one prayer it's, and it's not just one prayer one person praying it's more than one person praying. And he says, through your prayers, I believe I'm going to be delivered unto you. Paul expected Philemon's prayers to be effective. So much so that he said in verse 22, the first part of the verse, but with all, with everything else, prepare me also a lodging. For I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. Prepare me a lodging. Now he said, it'd be one thing for him to say, 
would you pray, would you simply pray that God would let me come see you? Right? That would be one thing. But he was so sure that their prayers could be answered that he says, while you're praying, find me a place to stay because I believe God's going to answer your prayers. So it wasn't just... It wasn't just the fact that he wanted them to pray. He really believed that with expectation that God was going to answer. You know, faith anticipates a response from God. I think that we can be mistaken sometime in thinking that if we just say the words, if we just pray the prayer, then our job is done. But in reality, it's not just saying the word, just believing that God is going to respond to what we pray. And that's what I see in Paul's writing here to Philemon. Prepare me a lodging. Pray that I'll be able to come and prepare me a place to stay because I believe that God's going to answer your prayers. Mrs. Murray is here and she'll remember perhaps remember this, but I remember uh, many, many years ago when we still lived in Texas, so that would have been 1975, 1976. The area was going through a drought, severe drought, and our pastor called a special night of prayer to pray for rain, that God would hear us and send rain. And that night, the pastor's wife brought an umbrella to church with her. It wasn't raining, but she was expecting it to rain. How many times I wonder, do we pray and say prayers, but we're really not expecting anything to happen because we pray, we pray. And that's what Paul is telling us here in writing to Philemon. He says, prepare lodging for I trust that through your prayers, that we're, I trust that through your prayers. I believe Paul really believed that. And by the way, I think people should be able to believe. If, they, if Paul asked them to pray, I think he believes they're going to pray. And I believe that he thinks if they're going to pray, then there's going to be an answer to their prayers. Have you ever had someone mention a need to you or ask you to pray for something? You say, I'll pray about that. And then you kind of forget about it and out of sight, out of mind. Paul believed that they were going to pray. So, so this is not just a matter of praying. It's a matter of praying in faith. Again, I don't know how everybody else feels about this, but I think it's possible that at least most of us or many of us would say, I really don't think I pray as much as I could. Or I don't think I pray as much as I should. And I would say that. I think, we could, I think I could stand with praying more. But just as it's possible that we're not praying enough, it's also possible that in our praying we're not expecting enough. We're not really expecting God to do something. I was reminded in preparing uh, this lesson of Acts chapter 12. It was the early days of the church in Jerusalem. And James, the brother of John, James and John, sons of Zebedee, James had been beheaded, murdered because of his faith in Christ. And um, 
it really pleased the people. I mean, the people in the community were thrilled that one, there's one Christian we don't have to worry about anymore. He's dead. And you could say, well, I don't think people could be that morbid. There could be many of them around us today that would feel in a similar way. So they were happy that John, uh, James was dead and the political party got together and said, hey, this is good for us politically. Let's arrest another one. So they arrest Peter and they put pre Peter in jail. And the Bible says, and we're not going to turn to it, but the Bible says that the church began to pray for the release of Peter. And some of you will remember this story. But they were praying about it and God heard and answered their prayers. And God released Peter, in a miraculous way, the Bible calls it the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord came and rescued Simon Peter and led him out of that prison. And he immediately went to where the Christians were gathered. They were gathered in a home. And when he went there, they were actually at that very moment, according to the Bible, they were praying for his release at that moment. Isn't that a miracle? And he goes to the door knocks on the door, and Rhonda went to the door. Actually, it's Rhoda, sort of. Rhoda goes to the door and understands that it's Peter, and when she goes and tells them it's Peter, they, could, they didn't believe it. They were dismayed. They, that, it can't be Peter. He's in jail. They're praying for him to get out of jail. He shows up at the door, and they said, it can't be him. He's in jail. Sometimes we pray, and if the answer really comes, it's a surprise to us. It was a surprise to them. So the, the lesson to me in this passage here in Philemon verse 22, the lesson is that Paul, who was um, a great example of praying and faith and trusting and believing, he depended on the prayers of other people. He asked them to pray for him. And the other lesson is that not only did he ask them to pray for him, but he believed that their prayers would be answered. That he would be able to be released and be delivered in answer to their prayer. And so I, I just focus our attention again tonight on those two words in verse 22, your prayers. And I want you to think about that tonight, not my prayers and not your mom or dad's prayers, not your husband's or wife's prayers, but your prayers. Because your prayers can make a big difference. It can make a big difference in your life. It can make a big difference in the church. It can make a big difference in your neighbors, the people that you work with, that you really want to see God do something in their life. Your prayers could make a big difference. People ought to be able to count on our prayers. Our friends. Every one of us know people that are not saved. Every one of us know people that claim to be saved. They're not living like they ought to. And that concerns us. It troubles us. But they need us to pray for them. God works in answer to prayer. That's the way God has chosen to work. Our church needs your prayers. The ministries of our church need our prayers. Uh, we're to pray for one another. Ephesians says this, praying always, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplications 
There he says this, for all saints. We ought to be praying for all saints, praying for one another. People need our prayers. Our missionaries need our prayers. Paul was a missionary. Paul was a, an evangelist that took the gospel to other places. He needed people to pray for him. He, he prayed sometimes that God would open doors. And he prayed sometimes that God would open his mouth. Pray, pray that I could open my mouth with boldness. You might think, well, preachers and missionaries, they never need boldness. Everybody needs boldness. Paul believed that their prayers could make a difference in his boldness, in his confidence in the Lord, in him speaking boldly. Our country needs our prayers. Our leaders need our prayers. People that are unsaved need our prayers. Paul said through your prayers. I want to ask you tonight, young person, just think about your day. Think about how you've spent your day, maybe, maybe at school, maybe homeschooling, maybe at a job. How much time did you spend? How many times during the day, maybe once or twice, or maybe dozens of times, but how many times did you pray today? And you could think, well, my prayers wouldn't make a difference. That's the whole point of the lesson. Everybody's prayers make a difference. Every one of us. Don't minimize the importance of your praying. Don't minimize the importance of your prayers. Because people, whether they say it or not, they're depending. They don't even know it. But they're really depending upon somebody interceding for them, somebody praying for them. There's so many situations and so many um, people that need what I would call divine intervention. And I think we ought to pray for people that are sick, and we do pray for, we, we rejoice in answer to prayer when somebody gets better. You know, we're rejoicing this, this weekend that Aaron and Sarah's little girl got to come home, and we, we rejoice. I heard uh, today that uh, James Murray was released from the hospital and went to uh, treatment, starting therapy. These are, I believe these are answers to prayer. People have prayed, dozens of people, maybe hundreds of people, maybe, maybe thousands of prayers have been prayed, and all that's good. I mean, we, we surely understand that praying is not just the exercise of saying words. It's believing and trusting that God is going to take our prayers that, the, that John said in the Revelation <coughs> are like incense that rises up before God, our prayers, seeking God, that our prayers actually make a difference. But we shouldn't just pray for sick people. And we shouldn't just pray for a bill that's due or something like that. We ought to pray for God to work in people's lives, for God to open their eyes. Only God can open the eyes of the blind, that God would open their eyes and help them to see because people, whether they know it or not, they need us to pray. They need us to pray for them. They need us to pray for their needs, for their spiritual needs, for the bondage in their life. And so our praying can make a difference. Praying is not just, um, it's not just an incidental thing that we do when we 
is a last resort when there's nothing else we can. Prayer ought to be our first option. We're going to pray about it. So tonight, we're going to have a little time of prayer. But I want us to really, I just really want us to focus in on our, your prayers. Individually, whoever you are, as a young person, as an adult, if you're saved, your prayers make a difference. And maybe tonight there's just something particularly that you would like to see God do. Something you would, someone you'd like to see God work in. Maybe, maybe some special need that you want to pray for. We pray for ministries. We've mentioned that earlier. We pray for those that are sick. But we ought to pray for missionaries. We ought to pray for various programs in our church. We ought to pray for, for people in this community. You know, it's not unusual when we are seeing somebody that is living like sinners live for us to be frustrated with them. I'm not saying it's spiritual, it's just human nature. To be frustrated with them. Why can't they put one foot in front of the other? Why are they, whatever. But you know what we need to do? We need to pray for one another. We ought to, we ought to pray for each other and pray for those who are struggling and pray for God to work. So tonight, I want you to think about that as we pray here in a moment. And let's just take a moment and think about it. And then I want to mention some prayer requests and see if you have any prayer requests. And we'll finish up with prayer. But let's just, let's just go before the Lord and, and let's think about this important matter of your prayers and my prayers.